So reading from Ephesians 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Thanks, Joel. Do you ever long for the power to change? Change in ourselves as individuals or as families? Change in the institutions that shape us as a society? Change in our churches? Well, in our passage this week, Paul has a lot to say about change. Change for good. I'm sure you noticed as we uh, read through just now, the old to the new, falsehood to truth, greed to generosity, bitterness to kindness, impure to holy, wrath to love. But how? Where is the power to change? Well, last week, Joel helped us think through just how the church grows. As all the followers of Jesus, the saints, are equipped with the truth, so they can, they can speak it to one another and so build up the body in love. But you might still be asking, well, how does that actually work in practice? Paul starts chapter four with this command. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That's a pretty daunting command, given the glorious truths he's proclaimed in the first half of his letter. How could we possibly be able to walk in a manner worthy of such a wondrous calling? Breaking old habits is hard. Just take a look back over the history of most people's New Year's resolutions and that will be apparent. We're pretty poor at making ourselves change even when we want to. Where is the power to change going to come from? Well, Paul doesn't leave us alone with our questions. And for most of the rest of this letter, he comes along with us to show us the power of the truth. How the new thinking revealed to us changes our lives. As we'll see, the good news about Jesus is transformative in every area of our life. How we treat one another, how we interact with the world, the fundamental patterns of all our social relationships. Paul picks up an aspect of our life 
shines light on it from the truth we've learned in the first half of the letter and shows us how the truth changes us. And first up, as we're looking at this week, Paul shows us how the new insight about ourselves together as Christians has the power to change the way we treat one another. So we'll look at it, uh, this passage in three stages. First, the problem we're up against, the old human, or uh, the, old old, the old self, as the ESV puts it, uh, the old way of being that characterizes the unredeemed world, the Gentiles, the nations, a world full of futile minds, lost in the dark and driven by greedy hearts. Second, Paul then holds up the transforming truth that the Ephesians and we have together been made into a new creation, a new human or the new self. And thirdly, we'll see how walking in this truth has the power to change us. Out of our renewed mind comes a generous heart that leads us in love and service of others. The old human, the transforming truth, and our walk in the truth. So first up, the old human, the way of thinking and the way of walking that ignores God, gives no recognition to the creator and turns its back on God's King Jesus. Paul summarizes this mindset, uh, the way of being like the Gentiles in verse 22, as the old self, or you might see a footnote in your Bibles that more literally this is uh, the old man or the old human. Not old as in age, but rather outdated and defunct. The former way of existence before God opened our eyes. The world. Humanity's default state since the fall, entrenched in its patterns. Paul shows us just how lost and hopeless the old human is. And this rather unflattering expose of the old human focuses on two key aspects. First, the flawed thinking, and second, the ugly consequences that follow. So he starts in verse 17, and notice how much he highlights that it is the wrong thinking that shapes them. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Futile minds, ignorance, darkened understanding, lost in a dark maze, confident of every turn they make, yet failing to see that they are all dead ends. We live in a society that esteems knowledge and understanding highly, but Paul calls out the way of the world around us as having totally flawed thinking, ignorant of the truth. Well, you may ask, hold on a second, what exactly are we talking about here? What is it that the world is so ignorant of and lacking understanding in? Well, without spelling it out explicitly in this passage, I think Paul's answer is, in a word, Jesus. Look down at verse uh, 20 and 21. What distinguishes the Ephesians from the world around them is that they have learned Christ, taught in him since the truth is in Jesus. They know Jesus. And I think it's fair to infer that this includes all the big truths centered on Jesus from the letter so far. That Jesus has been seated on high with all things put under his feet. And God's resurrection power is now at work in all who belong to him. The old humans darkened understanding is because they do not know Jesus. They look at the world and put their hope in all the wrong places. They cannot recognize where the true power is 
or where the universe is really heading. And the consequences of this thinking are tragic. See verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And likewise in verse 22, the old self belongs to your former manner of life that is corrupt through deceitful desires. The distorted view of the world has disastrous consequences as inevitably where the thoughts lead, the actions follow. Notice how this darkened understanding and hardness of heart leads the old human to greediness, serving themselves, being a slave to their own desires. As I thought about the imagery in verse 19, it struck me as slightly odd to say that the old human is callous, that is, lacking in feeling, and yet given up to sensuality, being driven by what feels good. But I think the picture here is a bit like an addict. Say a, a junkie hooked on heroin. At first, the drug has a big effect, but as the hit becomes more regular, a single dose barely registers anymore, and the body is not satisfied until the next hit, and the next, and the next. At the same time, the body becomes callous to the drug, and yet greedy for more and more to satisfy its senses. It's a tragic cycle with awful consequences. And I think that's the picture we're meant to see here. As the old human obeys its senses and desires, the habits become more entrenched and the greedy heart longs for more. The desires deceive and there is seemingly no way out. This is the pattern of the broken world, each serving their own ends. The way we once walked before God made us alive in Christ. The way that can still linger on us and must be cast off. It's a grim picture. But Paul seems to want us to look at how futile how pointless, how hopeless this old way of life is, so that we feel the desperate need to live a transformed life. How much we need the power to change in order to live a new life transformed by the truth. Uh, but also, as an aside, I think this insight into the worldly mindset is helpful for us to be less intimidated by the world around us, less discouraged when the Christian life feels weak or that we are missing out on something better. No, the alternative, the former manner of life, the walk of the old human, there's nothing to be afraid of missing out on. Lost in the dark and greedy self-service. Well, I hope that shows us just how unappealing the old way of life is and clarifies how much we put it away from ourselves. And Paul clearly thinks it is not something that we shake off entirely, uh, but the old human can cling on to us and we must actively put it off and instead put on the new human in Christ. So where is the power to change going to come from? How can we, as followers of Jesus, live a new pattern? Well, next, Paul holds out the truth that has the power to reshape our thinking and drive the change among us. So point two, Paul shows us how the truth has the power to change us. The transforming truth is that together as believers, we have been made into a new creation, the new human in Christ, his body. It is knowing this that is going to transform the way we go about our life and in particular, change our actions to one another. So picking up from verse 22 again. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed by the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
as those who belong to Jesus, we are together a new human in him, a body functioning as one, being members of one another. This is picking up on some of what the big ideas explained earlier in the letter. Uh, for example, listen to what Paul said about the body of believers in chapter two. Uh, that Jesus has made us all one, both Jew and Gentile, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And again, in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is our new identity. Collectively, as followers of Jesus, we are the new human in him, his body. No longer a collection of individuals going about our own way, lost in self-centered thinking of the old human. We are now a single unit in Christ. This is the mindset that is the power to change the way we look at the world and the truth that we need to put on and walk in, the truth that renews the spirit of our minds. But it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. Um, we, have, we are a new creation together as one, but not merely just a fresh start or a blank slate to try harder this time. Paul says that this new human is holy and righteous after the very likeness of God. He's using the language of creation of mankind in Genesis, made in the likeness of God. The new human is, in Christ, the fulfillment of what humanity was meant to be from the very beginning, God's representatives on earth. Likewise, in chapter 5, verse 1, we are uh, to be imitators of God, as beloved children. We've been brought into the family of God to know him as father, the way that Jesus perfectly did. We are his household, the dwelling place of God, declared perfectly righteous and pure. These are the truths that Paul has been praying to God that the Ephesians and all of us, the saints, will have the strength to comprehend. And we can now see what the outcome of this will be. This is a transforming truth that we need to shape our identity. And this is what will change the way we live together. The way Paul describes this identity is a bit like uh, the clothes we wear. We put off or take off the old human and put on the new human. We are to throw off the old rags of the old way and dress ourselves in the new identity of who we are. I think this picture of clothing is helpful for getting an insight into what is going on here. Clothing has this funny effect of changing how we act, as it shapes the way we view ourselves. One of the repeated working from home tips I heard a lot a few months ago was make sure you get up properly and get dressed for work. Put on something smart if you want to be productive. If you're still in your pyjamas, you'll feel like you should be in bed instead of at work. And I think there's a fair bit of wisdom in that. Uh, or how about power dressing for an interview? View yourself as though you belong in that job, dress accordingly, and you'll have the confidence to put in a strong performance. Well, when we think about how Jesus has made us together into a new human in the likeness of God, that you and I as believers are together a holy temple of God's presence, it's like we're putting on the most beautiful clothing. That is already true of us. <laughs> Jesus has accomplished it. But as we let the truth renew the spirit of our minds, it will flow out into our actions. It's the power to change. Before we go on to consider all the ways that this truth will change us, I thought it'd be worth taking a step back to consider some of the implications of what Paul is saying here. I think often we are tempted to think of change in the Christian life as knowing what we're supposed to do or, or be like. 
and then telling ourselves that we need to be more like this or do that more. And while there may be a place for making those kinds of plans, this passage places the driving influence to be the renewal of our minds, understanding our new identity in Christ. And as I, I said earlier, uh, this is not just theoretical or abstract knowledge or recital of doctrine, but learning Christ, the truth in Jesus, knowing him as a person, spending time with him, seeing the world through God's eyes, having the core of our identity in what Jesus has done for us, our outlook being guided by God's agenda to unite all things in Christ. So to summarise where we're up to, the darkened understanding of the old human is on its way out for us. And now we are being renewed in the spirit of our minds as God strengthens our grasp of the truth, the transforming truth that we have been made together as a new human in Jesus, the power to change all our interactions. And so finally, we walk in the truth. Walk in the truth that we are the new human in Christ. The power to change springs forth from our renewed minds. We put off the old human with its greedy heart and put on the new human with a generous heart for the service of others. So verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. The old human is cast off with all its falsehood and ignorant thinking. Now we have been made limbs of the same body, united in Christ as the new human. Well, how does that change the way we act? Well, it should reorient how we look at each other, especially the members of the local churches we belong to, but certainly also each other here at Covent Garden Talks or anywhere that we encounter other Christians. How can one part of a body act in self-interest at the expense of another? Well, it just makes no sense. And see the contrast to the old human. Remember that picture of the greedy-hearted addict? Now, if we grasp that we have been made into a new creation in Christ, the old mindset is just so alien to the truth. How could we go back to the old way? No, instead, as part of the new human in Christ, each part's desires are transformed to serving others. And Paul gives us lots of examples to show us this in action. So I love this beautiful scene in verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I think I would expect something more like, uh, let the thief no longer steal because it's the wrong thing to do. But no, above and beyond that, there is just this overflow of generosity. Not only has the thief stopped stealing from others to serve himself, the way of the old human, but the truth has changed his whole way of thinking to want to provide for others in need. That is a sign of the rich understanding of the truth, that the former thief has been liberated from the ignorance of the old way of life, no longer trapped in the greedy cycle of serving himself, and now he grasps how in Christ he is part of a greater body. Now, similarly in uh, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. See how the focus of our actions change when we see the truth that we have been made a new being as one body. Our words are characterised by serving others, building them up in the truth. And of course, wonderfully, as they are built up in the truth, they will increasingly have the same perspective and the actions that follow from it. 
Likewise, we see how the truth that the new human is righteous and holy drives a change in our walk. I think this is most clearly seen from verses 30 and 31. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. We have been together made a holy temple of God, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. His Spirit lives in us, a special place reserved for worship and reverence of the creator of all things. You know, imagine a hallowed and reverent space like a grand cathedral, beautiful and peaceful. If that is who we are, then it just makes no sense whatsoever to have any kind of infighting or badmouthing amongst God's people. Would you go and have a paintball fight in a cathedral? Noise and paint flying everywhere all over the walls? It's just a ridiculous thought. That's a bit like the mindset that the mindset this should generate in us. If we're tempted to be drawn into any kind of malice against each other, consider that we are jointly a holy temple of God, the spirit dwelling in all of us. All of a sudden, the mere notion that we would willingly act to harm each other seems absurd. Or to tie it back to the clothing analogy we had earlier. Uh, last summer, I got married. And as I got ready on the morning of the wedding, on a hanger, there was the carefully chosen suit for me to wear, well ironed, sized, to fit just right. But also, crumpled on the floor, there were the drab and scruffy board shorts I was wearing the day before. Did I ponder which to put on? It's just a no-brainer, isn't it? The thought did not even cross my mind to reach out for the shorts. It would just be totally inappropriate. Well, as we go through each day, we'll be faced with opportunities as well. Do I put on the new human in Christ, tender-hearted towards other members of the same body? Or do I put on the old human with the greedy heart for serving myself? Well, as we let the truth change us, it will make the second option seem as crazy as me wearing board shorts on my wedding. I'm sure we all appreciate that all of this is harder to say than it is to live. The very fact that Paul is urging the Ephesians to put on the new self shows us that he knows it is not something that we find easy. But even when there is trouble or strife, how we think about ourselves as the body of believers will shape how we handle it. I think that's what Paul's getting at in verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. If there is ever an internal division or the rumblings of anger within members of the body, do not leave it to grow or fester. The integrity of the body is too precious. If it is a justified anger, then seek resolution and a way to forgiveness. If it is an unjustified anger, well then put away self-interest. Letting any wound stay open is giving an opportunity for the devil to infect the new human that God has created in Christ. So in summary, where is the power to change us? Well, knowing the truth that as Christians, we are made into one new body, Jesus's body, a holy temple, will change how we treat each other. We cast off the old human. No longer do we seek to serve ourselves in hardness of heart. Now we strive to walk in love with generous hearts, serving our fellow members of the body as Christ did for all of us at the cross when he made us the new human, his body. So Paul's desire for the Ephesians and for us likewise is that we'll be so captivated by the truth of what Jesus has done for us that our heart's desire will be to see the body built up. The power for change among us as followers of Jesus 
is the truth that we be, have been made one new body together. If we grasp that, we will use our actions for the benefit of fellow members of the body, even by sacrificing our own individualistic desires. So I hope this sparks our imagination to think, how can we cast off the old human and put on the new human? We have the truth that gives power to change. So we must dwell on that amazing truth that we have been made together a new human and a holy temple. Let that renew our minds and ask, how can I demonstrate with my words and actions that we are now part of a beautiful new being? What are the words that give grace to the hearer? And wonderfully, even as we do this, letting the truth change us into working as part of the body for others, that itself will be a visible sign pointing to the truth. The next time you see someone at your church working selflessly for the benefit of the whole, take a moment to reflect on the truth that that has only come about because of God's power creating the new human out of a fractured and divided humanity. That is the power of a renewed mind walking in the truth. That is just one small piece of a vast body living and breathing together that God is using to unite all things in Jesus as a plan for the fullness of time. And we get to be a part of it too. Why don't I pray for us now uh, for help with all this. Father, we pray that you'd give us um, the strength to comprehend all the magnificent truths that you, uh, you talk through Paul in this letter to the Ephesians. And we pray that we would um, dwell on them and you'd let the, you'd, we'd let them change us and change our attitudes towards um, each other and fellow members of the body. And that uh, um, we would, in our small part, reflect the glory of, of you, that uh, we'd be made truly in the image of God, uh, in, in your likeness and reflecting your glory and that we'd play our part in um, the building up of the body, uh, which is your plan. Amen.